Welcome to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Insight Zone. This is Mary Beth Kozmeski. Today I'm interviewing Lisa Marie Platsky, and she left her action-packed life as a federal law enforcement officer with the U.S. Customs Service to become the CEO of international leadership training and consulting company Upside Thinking. So I cannot wait to learn more about Lisa Marie and all the things that she's doing and why she left one career and started another. So welcome to the Female Insight Zone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mary Beth, for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you for coming aboard here. So you worked for the U.S. Customs Service, and you really moved up through this federal law enforcement uh, bureau, if you will. Talk a little bit about how you started there, why you got into law enforcement, and, and how all that happened. Thank you. Great question. So I really wanted to make a difference. That's my reason for going into working for the government. And I majored in criminal justice and just had such a heart for police officers and those who, who were, were in public servant roles. So for me, this was just a, a blessing to be able to go into federal law enforcement and to have, I waited a long time to be able to get that, that opportunity and that door, for that door to open. So it truly was about making a difference for me. So did you run into any touchy situations where maybe uh, you know your, your life was at um, risk or something, or is the custom service a little bit different? No, I, you know, absolutely. So I, I started off in the role of working on the piers in New York, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and really just while it all sounded great on paper or perhaps the shows that I watched as a kid, like Charlie's Angels, it wasn't anything like that. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, this, this whole vision that I had of working and having it be glamorous was, was a very rude awakening when I showed up on the piers in New York. And so with, with that work there, there was a lot of compliance work, but then went into doing narcotics interdiction as well as money laundering work which would be outbound enforcement and worked in commercial fraud. So various areas that allowed you to be out in the public. But I think the thing, when you, when you talk about what were the, some of the surprises, there were many times where I had assignments outside you know, my area. And I remember one time being in San Diego where everybody was like, you know, get down. And I, I, you know, I had no idea what was going on. And there was a shooter on the loose. And so, you know, you just, you don't have you don't have that split second to make a decision about oh my gosh you know my life can potentially be in danger and I also worked 9/11 where we we worked we I, you know lost my mentor in 9/11 and a lot that changed for me after 9/11 working in the New York area where I would just have to send employees to, to funerals for months as well as searching through rubble and just just so much that happened so. It's interesting, a lot of times the experience people have with the U.S. Customs Service is that which they come through the airport and see somebody, and yet that's such a small portion of what the actually agent's responsibilities are. So why did you leave this dramatic career and move into (laughs) upside thinking? Well, I, I honestly did a lot of the same work in the government that I do in upside thinking. 
I've always been involved with leadership development. It's always intrigued me from high school to, to college with reading books and working in the government. And when I worked in the government, I had the distinct pleasure of being able to teach at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. And post 9-11, I was invited to develop leadership curriculum with an outside consultant and several other senior leaders within the agency as there were agencies that were being divided and then put back together again, if you will, under the Department of Homeland Security. So I was able to work on developing leadership curriculum at the Leadership Development Center in Dallas, Texas. And then it was just a natural progression to open up my own leadership company. But I'd always been involved in, in what does it look like? Why do some people stay in a position for their entire career and they never, they never, you know, they never change? Why do some people move through the ranks very quickly? Why do some people in an organization manage to be incredible change makers? Why are some people so good at innovation or coming up with new ideas? And so it doesn't really matter whether it's the government or a nonprofit entity or whether it's a Fortune 500 company or a small business. The, the need for people to step up into leadership is still there. And it all is about influence. And so I found that there were so many similarities from working in such a large entity as the federal government as owning my own small business and interacting with people in these various entities. But leadership still ultimately remained the same. Got it. So you, know, you talk about, and I, I know you talk about designing your destiny. Talk a little bit about what that is and was that part of what led you to do this as well? And now you're sort of teaching <laughs> others. <laughs> yes, uh, that's, well, that's really interesting. So, so I have this annual event, Design Your Destiny Live, and I've done it for 10 years. And more death, I did not plan on doing it for 10 years, but that's exactly what my life was, is designing my destiny. And down sort of crazy, you know, I, I came to a place in my career in the government where I realized that the guys didn't like me. And, you know, for some people, maybe they've experienced that, you know, maybe not. But for me, it was really, it was, it was, a, it was a very painful moment, I guess you could say, just to, to recognize that everywhere else I had gone, people appreciated me for my knowledge, appreciated me for just who I was. And on the job, I was not, I was not beloved. And so I, I took a leadership training course, and in the leadership training course, I ended up getting the results back through student assessments. There were self-assessments, there were group assessments, there were a lot of different assessments that I took. And the results came back, and the instructor stood over me, and she announced to the class, um, Lisa is a zero uh, on this interpersonal skills assessment. And... I could feel myself shrinking in that moment. And I, you know, even as I'm, you know, here with you, I recognize just still how painful that is. And she, she proceeded to go further and said, you know, if, if Lisa invites you to do something, she doesn't really want to come. And if, if she doesn't really want you to be there, and if you invite her to do something, she really doesn't want to spend time with you. And it was such a painful comment that I, I, I cried the entire way home and said, you know, if something doesn't change in me being able to connect with others, I can be really strong and tough, smart and right, but I also might be alone and dead. And it was a great eye-opening experience, and sometimes those painful moments do that to us, that I made the decision that I needed to get 
deeper and clearer about who am I, what do I want, what do I stand for, and why does it matter? And so it led me through a journey of me designing my own destiny, and which is also what led me to being able to take some of those leadership assignments and be the fastest promoted person in the agency at the time, and be able to do the things because of the willingness to look at some of the things that really weren't working. And in designing my own destiny, when I was asked by my husband to get married, I really always thought I would work in the government. I loved my work. I loved what I did. And it, it became about what is most important. What are your values? What are the things that really matter to you? And as I thought about you know, the freedom and fun and flexibility, I recognized that I could do that in opening a business. And I also recognized that the reason why those things were important was because family and friends and faith were incredibly important to me. And I could still do that and live out my mission of making a difference and just do it in a different way. And when I discovered this for myself, I was really amazed at how many people I went into coaching conversations or speaking on stages who didn't have this vantage point of their life. They just saw it as, I, I go and I get a job and then I go for the next promotion or the next opportunity or I stay where I am and I, and I do what I'm told. And I couldn't believe how many people had this vantage point of life. And so I started, you know, created that event in order to be able to have people ask those questions through these seven pillars of leadership that I discovered. And it really was something where I guess I was the, the research model at first and it worked. Um, so, so, and and it, it's been interesting. It's been an interesting journey being able to share that with other people. But it's designing my destiny is what actually started me being able to help other people design their destiny. So when you discovered this painful information about how, <laughs> you know, how you were acting and reacting um, in yeah. social situations and work situations and all of that, what was the first thing that you did to make that change? So is, is there something that That's great. reading or listening or watching or doing something? That's a great question. So what I recognize for myself is that I'm a social introvert. And what that means is that I've learned how to be social in social situations. Ultimately, where I recharge is by myself. It's not with other people. And the perception that you can put out into the world is as valuable, right? So how people perceive your behavior or what you do or whether you say yes to something or no to an opportunity, there's a story that's often created around that. If you aren't clear about articulating why you're a yes or a no for something. And so for me, what one of the things that I would say is that I gave myself permission to be more vulnerable. And so I would get curious about the guys. One of the first things I did is I started to get curious about what was important to them. And I actually started to listen to what that looked like. Uh, I began sharing things that I would not normally share. And I use the example of really my faith journey. So we would be on the piers in New York and I would say, we're going to have a barbecue today to my employees. And they would say, what is it for? And I would say, it's the feast day of such and such saint. And they would ask me questions about it. And it wasn't so much that I was preaching to them or anything like that. It was simply that I was disclosing a piece of me that would normally have been cut off. And what I find so often is that as far as integrating who you are into your work, most people compartmentalize. They say, this is my work self. 
this is my family self and none of them are interrelated. And so what ended up happening is that people only knew a very, very small portion of who I was. And the part that I valued was the part that was knowledgeable. What ended up happening is that to some degree, I kind of came off as somebody who was unapproachable. And so I, I just paid attention to my own behavior. And like I said, I, I ended up being far more vulnerable and recognized that vulnerability and depositioning are not the same. I really studied positioning. What does it look like to position yourself? to position your leadership. I studied brain science. There's a lot of things that I did. But that first step was really to get curious about the guys that I work with and to share more about who I really was. Understanding that some of them wouldn't wouldn't necessarily like it, accept it. And that was the, the reason why most people keep it separate and the reason why I had kept it separate up until then. Well, and I think that that is what you're describing, although it may not have been something that you were doing consciously, but what you're describing is what I hear from a lot of women who have made their way through um, a heavily male-dominated industry like the U.S. Customs Service or you know, in law enforcement or being in the financial industry or the tech industry or being mm-hmm. an engineer. We have to be, we feel like we have to be so tough. We have to be so, and it almost mm-hmm. causes this compartmentalizing and it causes us to cut off the the real part that people will actually like about us. And it is one of the issues that I think that really strong women have because we think we are supposed to do it this way when we probably need to just do it the authentic way. And I'm not suggesting that you weren't acting authentic, but it's allowing our real self to come out when there's some social cues that are telling us perhaps, no, you don't do that um, when you're in a man's world. And so I I don't know. It's it's a very interesting journey that you've been on. Yes. And I I love what you said, because today I get to model what vulnerable feminine leadership looks like when I'm, I'm on stage at my own events or speaking at other women's conferences or even industry conferences. And what's interesting is that even every time I do it, there's a little element of scariness for me or fear. And what I'm always in awe of is how many people come up to me and say, wow, like I just so needed to hear that. And it's just so beautiful and it's so freeing. And when I've actually coached women to say, here's the, here's what's not working and here's what it is that that would work, that'd be more effective. And we're talking about individuals who are executives in the C-suite where there might be the only woman and they've had a lot of pushback from the men at the table and they're going, I don't know that I can say that. And I, and the the part of, of me that encourages them is that if you, if you don't be who you are and sometimes being who you are is the hardest thing you can be and you subscribe to this i've got to do it this way in order to be successful as a woman in this place not only will you burn out not only will you potentially get sick but you also make it so hard for the other people who are coming up behind you and potentially the children of those other men who are, who are in the room. And it's interesting how even addressing that as a conversation within a boardroom can allow you to create allies around something that just didn't seem 
that just didn't seem possible. In organizations that I have done coaching in and coaching for, that it's, it's remarkable to see how much people value when you are being that authentic version of yourself, even as, as much as there's so much pushback in or so much education around teaching the opposite. Right. Well, I loved hearing about all the things that you're doing. Um, how can people reach you now at Upside Thinking? Upside Thinking, well, the easiest way for me is I, I'm an email girl. So <laughs> Lisa Marie, L-I-S-A-M-A-R-I-E at UpsideThinking.com. I would love to be able to answer any questions. I must love to share what I've learned. So Mary Beth, that's the best way to be able to reach to reach me and certainly there's the more information on the upsidethinking.com and designyourdestinylive.com website. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today in the Female Insight Zone. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. Mary Beth, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Thanks for listening to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.